welcome. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 10 this evening. That's where we're going to be camping out tonight. Romans chapter 10. Feels weird just walking straight up here. Usually Mike gives me some, you know, heartfelt introduction about how much he loves me and how great I am and all this stuff. But, you know, it's kind of, you know. (laughs) I tease, I tease, I tease. But Romans chapter 10, that's where we're going to be tonight. So before we start, let's go before the Lord in in a word of prayer. Let's get the ball rolling. Father God, we thank you. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. Father God, we thank you that it is alive, Lord, that it speaks to us in this day and age, Father God. That it is still relevant now and forever, Father God. And so we pray and we ask so that as we just study you this evening, Father God, as we read your words, Lord, we ask that you would just fill us with you. Father God, we ask that you would just speak to us in a mighty way. Father God, that you would just touch us, touch our hearts. Father God, that you would, Lord, just continue to lead and direct us. And so we thank you for this time, Lord. We love you. Bind the hand of the enemy, Lord, that we can just focus on you this evening. And we give you all the praise, all the honor, all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Romans chapter 10, looking at verses 1 through 15. Let's go ahead and read the whole passage. It says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Verse 3, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness, and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believe. Verse 5, For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your hearts, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. Verse 8, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, verse 11, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. Verse 13, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Verse 15, And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, 
who bring glad tidings of good things. So when Mike asked me to teach tonight, I was praying about what I should be teaching on, what I should be, you know, preaching to you guys. And one thing that kept coming to my mind is the state of our nation and just how so much of it just rejects Christ and so much of it is just lost. You know, and it reminded me of this passage of how Israel is rejecting, how how a majority of Israel is rejecting the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I said, you know, what better, what better passage than chapter 10 of Romans? And so we're going to break this down into, into four sections, verses 1 through 15. The first section we're going to see in verses 1 through 3 for you note-takers, it's, it's going to talk about Israel's refusal and stubbornness. Because we don't know what that's like, right? Being stubborn. The second part is going to be in verses 4 through 8, and it's going to be the difference between God's righteousness and our attempts at righteousness. Section 3 is going to be found in verses 9 through 13, talking about righteousness through faith. And then lastly, in verses 14 and 15, we're going to see why it is necessary to preach the gospel. So, rereading verses 1 through 3, it says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, for they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. So Paul is speaking to the Roman church in this, in this time. And, and, and Paul is feeling compelled to, to show his heart, his, his desire in regards to his fellow Jews. And not only is he conveying his, his heart, his desire towards his fellow Jews, but he's also conveying his, his action upon those desires. What does it say? It says in verse 1, my heart's desire and prayer. He prays that, that he, he is active in that desire. And you know, so often we talk about intentions versus actions, right? You, you, you base yourself on your intentions, but you judge other people on their actions. James 1.22 says, be not hearers of the word only, only, but doers also. We need to be people of action, you guys. It's great to desire. It's great to want to see change. It's great to want to see revival. But what are we doing? What are you doing to make it happen? Paul gives us a great example of not only having a desire, but having action, an action plan for that desire, and that is through prayer. That was his action. We should learn from that. Truly, you guys, God, he, he is an equal opportunity Savior. Amen? He gives 
and he still gives Gentiles the same opportunity, the same invitation to salvation, while also still giving it to the Jews, that same opportunity. And in this chapter, we, we will see that Jesus is Savior to all of Israel, and that some will accept it, but a majority will not. Sounds familiar, right? There's nothing new under the sun. And Paul, he recognizes, you guys, he acknowledges the Israelites' zeal for the Lord. But it's not on account of, of their knowledge. Right? I mean, he clearly says that in verse, his, verse 2. He says, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. You guys, we can be very sincere in many things, in our critiquing, finding sin. But we will be sincerely wrong. We can still be sincerely wrong in that zeal for whatever that may be. I mean, sure, you can ask Paul himself, right? With great zeal, Paul persecuted the church, right? Trying to establish, trying to concrete his own righteousness. Philippians, 3, 6, Philippians chapter 3, verse 6 talks about that. And just like the majority of Israel, he was very sincere, but he was sincerely wrong. You guys, many, many people today, they follow misguided causes and, and lies with all their hearts. You know, working themselves to no end, with the end result being what? Nothing. Emptiness. And you know, I, I give them credit though. They, they probably put us to shame when it comes to, to zeal, to sincerity, when it comes to them going after their causes, these false religions, false doctrines, etc. Fill in the blank. But we have to know the truth of God's righteousness, you guys. That, that zeal without knowledge is nothing but a waste. Zeal without knowledge of the Lord, of our righteousness, it means nothing unless we truly know what and why we're zealous for it. Verses 4 through 8 says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does these th those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your hearts who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the abyss, from the dead, I'm sorry. Verse 8, but what does it say? The world is near you, in your mouth, and in your hearts, that is, the word of faith which we preach. Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, it says this, you guys, it says, for assuredly I say to you, Till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means 
passed from the law till it is fulfilled. Guys, we need to remember that the law ended with Jesus. That the law ended with Jesus Christ. Why? Because it was fulfilled through Jesus Christ. The law was quenched. It was finished through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the end of the law for those who believe in him, for those who truly accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, you guys. The law ends for the believer in in the sense that our obedience to the law is, is no longer our basis, our ruler, so to speak, for our relationship with God. I don't want you guys to get confused. I don't want you guys to get twisted. The law has not come to an end in the sense of no longer following God's standard or no longer showing us our need for a Savior. But we need to know that if you want to keep the law, you must live in the law. In other words, that you must always keep working and that you must do it completely and perfectly. Good luck. Right? Legalism in your life, you guys, in, in our churches or in our communities, that will always lead to death because no man can fulfill its righteousness. No man is righteous of its own accord. Right? What does the Bible say about our righteousness? That it's nothing but filthy rags. But the spirit in your life, in our churches, in our communities, on the other hand, that will always lead to life because of the finished work on the cross. This is where the righteousness of of faith comes in. Our righteousness, you guys, it's based on Jesus. And that we don't have to, quote unquote, work to get Jesus. It's as simple as Believing and receiving. It's that simple. Instead of having to go to extreme lengths, instead of having to do some big kumbaya circle to achieve righteousness, it's as simple as believing and receiving Jesus. We can instantaneously receive righteousness by faith through Jesus and by trusting in the words of the gospel. It's that simple. Verses 9 to 13. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth Confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Praise the Lord that we do not gain righteousness by our own works. 
that's an uphill battle that we will never win. But we gain it by, by confessing, by believing in, in the person, in the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus is not known fully through, through theology or through philosophy, but he is known through childlike simplicity. Childlike simplicity. I love that because you can ask pretty much anyone that knows me pretty well. I'm pretty much just a child. But that if you believe in your heart that, that he rose from the grave, that he died for your sins, and that he is alive, and that you make that simple confession with your mouth or in your heart, that righteousness is yours right then and there. Praise God for that. And that word confession, you guys, is the key. Confession in this context, it has the idea of, of, of agreeing with. When we confess the Lord Jesus, when we agree with the Lord Jesus, we are agreeing with what God has said about Jesus. With what Jesus has said about Jesus. It means that that we recognize that Jesus is God, that he is the Messiah, and that his work on the cross is the only way of salvation for any one of us here on this earth, you guys, and this nation, they need to know that truth. It still blows my mind that it is that simple. It's amazing that it's that simple. Believing and confessing. Like I said, we don't have to do some crazy ritual. We don't have to have some kumbaya circle where we all beat on drums and dance like maniacs. It's having childlike faith and believing in our hearts. If these little kids can believe in a big fat man in a red suit coming down on chimneys, I think we can simply believe in our Lord Jesus, no? Childlike faith and believing in our hearts. Why why believe in your heart? Why believe in your heart? Why doesn't Paul say, you know, b- believe in your mind or believe with all of your fill in the blank? It's because you guys are the Lord is after our hearts first. Think about it. Bear with me for a second. Our minds, think about how easily it can be swayed. How easily it can be convinced of something. Right, through, through facts, um, through, through trends, through you know, so-and-so social media posts on Facebook. Don't get triggered, guys, because I said Facebook. I know you guys, you guys love your Facebook. But our hearts, our hearts, you guys, are, are, are a whole other thing. If something is in our hearts, good luck trying to, to, to change our minds about it, right?
our hearts towards things don't change so easily, not as easily as our minds. It may break, right, but it does not change, and that is why the Lord says that he wants us to believe in him with our hearts. But not just rationally, you guys, but emotionally, but intimately. He wants that intimate relationship with each and every one of us. Jesus, you guys, he is the Lord of all, and he is the Lord for all. So that you and me, Gentiles and Jews, can, can be saved, can have salvation, can be, that we can be brought together in the church and in the kingdom, Lord willing. And again, it doesn't take some majestic act to accept God's gift of salvation. It just takes acknowledging that Jesus is Lord, believing in your heart that he was raised from the dead. And then not only that, guys, but your heart, it must line up with your words as you make the Lord Jesus your life. It's so simple, yet so many of us miss it, miss that mark. Verses 14 and 15. It says, How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As, as is it, oh my gosh, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace who bring glad tidings of good things. Y'all, Paul correctly and rightly sees that it all goes back to the preaching of the gospel. We live right now in a day and age where there's not a lot of that going on right now. Praise the Lord that we go to a, uh, a Bible-believing church, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. But it's not very common nowadays. It's sad, but it's true. Well, Paul says it. He says it all goes back to the preaching of the gospel and that the preachers, that the teachers, you guys, they must be sent by both God and the church. The crazy thing to me is that God could have used, could have used any any vessel to 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 spread the word. Right? He could have sent legions of angels. He could have made, you know, a, a whole other being that was way better. I don't know. But he chose us simple, sinful humans to to spread his word and his good news of salvation. I love it. It's great. It's amazing. We can do it anytime, anywhere. We can do it over uh, a coffee. We can do it over a, a meal. I know the men meet on Thursdays at, at the Grind Coffee Shop and, and just fellowship and, and study the word. And I know we have different groups that meet on different days. And it's, 
it's amazing. There is no time frame. There's no if, ands, or buts. There's no you have to be at this place at this time in order for this to be divine or this, for this for the word to be alive. It's it's forever and always is anywhere, anytime, 24 7, 365. In closing, we see in verse 15. Says and how shall they preach unless they are sent as it is as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. So we see in verse 15, talking about how beautiful are the feet of those who who preach the gospel of peace. Guys, in in this context, in this verse. The feet is speaking of activity, uh, of, of motion, of progress. That, that those who are active, that those who are, are moving, those who are working through the gospel, for the gospel, God sees that, their feet, that, as beautiful. I don't know about y'all, but I have some pretty ugly, nasty feet. So for the Lord to see my feet as beautiful, I mean, it's pretty, that's real love right there. No, but all, all, all joking aside, the fact that the Lord could, could see any one of us as, as beautiful, as worthy, praise him. you want to have beautiful feet from a, from a spiritual standpoint get off your couch metaphorically speaking or literally for some of us me included especially go share that, that good news of the gospel guys again we live in a nation that desperately needs it so bad I mean you turn on the news and you see nothing but, but heartache and turmoil and strife and darkness. We have the the best news that anyone could ever receive. Why why would we keep that to ourselves? The Bible says in Matthew 28, 19, it says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Let me ask you all this. If you had a cure for for cancer or for any major disease, you you fill in the blank. Would would you not share it with the rest of the world? Would you not immediately just go out screaming, I, I have the cure. I can heal this ailment. I can heal this sickness. No, we live in a country that has a sickness of, of sin. We live in a country that is desperate, that is so badly needing this. And we have the cure for it all through the word, through our Lord, through the gospel. And it was found through the blood of Jesus and the work that he did on the cross for our sins. And so 
I encourage you guys. It's, it's time for us to, to get off the bench. It's time for us to get off the couch. Go get it done for the Lord. Because, guys, our nation needs it desperately right now. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Father God, for the finished work of the cross. Lord, we thank you that, Father God, you saw us as worthy, that you see us as worthy. And that we can be cleansed through that work, through your blood. Lord, I pray that we would use that gift and that we would return it to you, Father God, by by going out, by making disciples. Father God, I pray that our desire would be revival in the church, Father God, that there would be revival in this nation. Again, Lord, there's just so much darkness. Lord, I pray that we would be men and women of, of action, not just desire, Father God that we would go out and do the work, Lord, that we would get our hands dirty, Father God, and that we would do it wholeheartedly for you. So we give you this time, Lord, and as we just, Lord, spend this next little bit of time in prayer, Father God, that you would move in us, Father God, in our hearts and our souls, Father God. And so we give you this time. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name.